Now, this was not necessarily planned when we started going through the book of Ezra. But after we got done with the book of Ezra, I thought it made sense. Actually, go back one slide, if you don't mind, Dustin. That, uh, that one right there. That's the one I want. Thanks. When we went through the book of Ezra, we got done with Ezra, and I said, well, you know what? We've got so much background in Ezra. It makes sense. We should just go and do Nehemiah. After we got done with Nehemiah, I was praying about book to do, and I, and I really didn't want to do Esther. I don't know if you've ever taught through the book of Esther or have gone through the book of Esther. It's a very unique book. It's a very interesting book. And it, it almost reads like a really bad soap opera. And it's really not my cup of tea. And I, and I went through it and I started preparing the lesson for Esther. And I thought, I'm, I'm not getting into this, Lord. I mean, I know all word is holy and inspired, but, you know... I'm not getting into this real well here. And then the Lord said, no, go back to Esther here because it makes perfect sense. Because if you look here, and this is the slide that we put up way back in April when we started our study in, in Ezra. If you can look here, you can see the book of Ezra. You can see the book of Nehemiah. But if you look down here below, and I didn't bring my little laser pointer with me, right there's Esther. She snuck right in there. So we talked about these different time frames before. We talked about the first group of Zerubbabel coming back and rebuilding the temple. We talked about Ezra coming back and reforming. The first half of the book of Ezra is about the temple being rebuilt. And then it talks about Ezra. But in between, in between in the book of Ezra, there's a big gap of 50 plus years. And that's where Esther comes into play. So you guys should be familiar with Ezra, Nehemiah, this Persian timeline. We've been talking about this for months. So with that being said, the background to Esther should be pretty straightforward and simple of these names and these people that we're going to be talking about. Now, Ezra is a difficult book sometimes to teach through because it's a very unique book that the name of God is never mentioned once in the entire book. Now, here's a book of the Bible written by the Lord through the Holy Spirit, and God's name is never mentioned in it. Because the whole point of the book of Esther is that God works behind the scenes. And that's what you're going to see here in the book of Esther. The whole point is God working behind the scenes and that the Lord has raised up this woman for a specific purpose. Jump ahead, if you will, to Esther chapter 4. Here's your key verse of the whole book. What's happening is Haman wants to kill all the Jews. Esther, who is a Jew secretly, is in a position of power and authority as the queen. Her cousin Mordecai is coming to her and saying, you need to do something to save the Jews. And he says this to her in Esther 4, verse 14. If you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. God's not going to let his people be destroyed. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to this kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai is saying to his cousin, God raised you up. You're not in this position. You are this nothing Jewish girl that has now become queen. Do you think that happened by chance, by coincidence? No, God is moving puzzle pieces behind the scenes. And that's what you have to realize as you go through the book of Esther. It's a constant reminder that God is doing more behind the scenes than what you and I could imagine. So therefore, when you are at this moment of despair and discouragement and nothing ever works out and everything is lost, it usually means the Lord is doing something behind the scenes that you can't even imagine. And even if it doesn't work out according to your way, just like Mordecai said there, God will raise somebody else up. I always think of when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into the fiery furnace. And one of the great lines that they say to Nebuchadnezzar, they said, King, you can throw us into the fire. And we may get burned up, or we may not. 
but we're not bowing down to you. And I love that. There's an honesty of that. You may get burned up. You may not get burned up. But God's still God. He's on the throne. Esther, if you choose to do nothing, God's still going to save the Jews because God loves the Jews. But you know what? You could play a key part in this. And the same thing happens to you at work, at home, whatever. You have somebody who's heavy on your heart that you feel like you should go witness to them. Okay, so you choose not to. Okay, God in his infinite grace and love will send somebody else to go witness to that person. But you lost the opportunity. So there's a time where you feel the Lord really wants you to do something, make a move. But you choose not to out of fear, worry, anxiety, whatever. God will still move and work as God's God. But you lose out on that opportunity. So Esther gets a chance to rise and shine. And what a beautiful idea that is since her name does mean star. She gets to rise and shine and God just gets to use her. So remember, God is doing more behind the scenes than what you or I could ever imagine. There is no coincidence. There is no chance. God is sovereign. And that's what you're going to see in the book of Esther. A little bit of background before we get in. If you follow any of the Jewish feasts, there's a feast called Purim that happens in March. This is based out of the book of Esther, if you're interested in that. A couple things here. One of the main characters, and this is the King Hazarias in verse 1. You know him better as King Xerxes. His dad was Darius I, if that reminds you of anything in the Bible. His son was Artaxerxes, the one that influenced Nehemiah. And there was somebody that asked a question weeks ago when we were going through Ezra and Nehemiah about the influence that Mordecai had, probably. Remember, Esther is the stepmom to Artaxerxes. So therefore, when we read some of these books later on, like Nehemiah, why would the Persians be so interested in going to help the Jews? Number one, it's God-ordained. Number two, his stepmom was Jewish. And you can start putting all these little tidbits together here. So it's a wonderful book. I hope you're blessed by it. Because once you get into it, it's like, okay, Lord, I love it. But there's a lot of soap opera in here, and I'm just going to tell you that right now. So we start this out with the soap opera. There's three feasts going on here in chapter 1. The first feast given by Xerxes or Azarias is 180 days. You can see that in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Azarias that there was Azarias who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. This guy was king of the world. King of the world. He was the most powerful man at this time. In those days when King Azarias sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel. Shushan is his capital. Then in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. So just right there, you're introduced to this guy and you know everything you need to know about him. He throws a party for himself for 180 days. It's pretty impressive, I'd say. And the purpose of the party, verse 4, is to show the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty. This guy, only thing he thinks about is himself. If you're a student of history, soon after this, he decides to invade Greece. It does not go well in any way whatsoever. He was so prideful, he thought he could take on the entire world. So we're introduced to this man throwing a party for himself for 180 days, and he's very prideful. That's what you need to know about him. Now, when that party's done, verse 5, when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan, the citadel, from great to small in the court of the garden of the king's palace. So he says, hey, that party's done for all my rulers. I'm going to throw a second party now for all the people that live here around my palace and in my palace. And it goes in verse 6, all the decorations. Verse 7, they're drinking out of golden vessels and royal wine. And it's this huge, big party, and everybody's drinking that wants to drink. 
While this party is going on, verse 9, now you're introduced to Queen Vashti. This is his wife. She decides to have a feast for the women. Well, now it gets really interesting. Verse 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, so this guy now has been drinking for seven days, if not including the 180 days before this, this guy is pretty well intoxicated. So he has this great idea because he's prideful, he's arrogant, and it's all about him. Here he is drinking, he's drunk. Verse 11, he decides to ask Queen Vashti to come before him, wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. She says, I want my wife to come in. Now, if you look at this and you study this out in the original language, don't think too much on this. It looks like in verse 11, he's asking her to be inappropriate. He wants her to come out wearing the royal crown. Nothing else. So I want her to come out. Now, think about this for a second. Verse 10, as he's full of alcohol making this decision, a very simple question to ask you guys. How many good choices do you make while you're drunk? I have never run into somebody who said the best choices I've ever made in my life is when I'm completely wasted. Never. I've never heard anybody say that. When we start allowing alcohol to get the best of us, our choices just start going downhill. It's never worth it. Never, ever worth it. The purpose of the message tonight is not to talk about the dangers of drinking. I'm just telling you the Bible consistently, constantly warns against getting drunk. It never leads to anything good. Richard and I were talking to somebody recently one time, and the subject of alcohol came up. And I don't know how well you know Richard. Richard has sometimes these little one-liners that he just throws out that I'd love to collect in my mind. So when Richard dies, it's going to be the best funeral ever. I'm just going to let you know that because I've saved all these little one-liners, he said, over the years. And he just made a comment. We're sitting there eating. He goes, you know what? I never crashed my car once while sober. That's all he says. He just goes on eating. You know, and that's just Richard. I never crashed my car once while sober. And he just goes on eating. We don't usually make the best decisions when we're intoxicated. And so this guy is drunk. Verse 10. Hey, I got a great idea. You want to see how beautiful my wife is? Tell her to come out wearing only the royal crown. Verse 12. She refuses. Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs. Therefore, the king was furious and the anger burned within him. Have you ever run into one of those guys that just can't handle being told no? I mean, I'm used to that with an 18-month-old or a 2-year-old or a 3-year-old. But when you start running into grown men, no, I'm not doing that. And they just can't handle it. So now there's this big, long discussion of what they should do. He's furious. He's angry. It's burning within him. Verse 13. He gets together all of his wise men, who I'm assuming are all drunk with him. And let's have a great drunken council to figure out what we should do. So he brings everybody in. Verse 14. Verse 15. What shall we do to Queen Vashti according to law? Because she did not obey the command of King Azarias, brought to her by the eunuchs. So this guy has a great answer. Verse 16, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are all the providences of King Azarias. So this woman has not only wronged the king, she has wronged the entire kingdom. Verse 17, for the queen's behavior will become known to all women, so they will despise their husbands in their eyes when they report King Azarias commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him, but she did not come. So now when any husband asks his wife to do anything, she's going to say, well, the queen said no, so I'm allowed to say no. So verse 18, this very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen. Thus, there will be excessive contempt and wrath. There's going to be a huge revolt because the woman would not listen to the drunken order of the king. 
So we got to do something now because everything's going to fall apart. So I got a great idea. Verse 19, if it pleases the king, let a royal decree to go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes. So it will not be altered that Vashti shall come no more before King Azarias and let the kings give her royal position to another who is better than she. And when the king's decree, which he will make is proclaimed throughout all the empire, for it is great, all wives will honor their husbands, both great and small. What a great idea. Let's force submission and obedience. And verse 21, and the reply pleased the king and the princess, and the king did according. Now you're going to see this idea here, the reply pleased the king. This is an ongoing theme throughout the book of Esther. This king just gets what he wants. This king just comes across as this spoiled boy. That whatever he wants, he gets. So therefore, if it pleases me, do it. Whatever makes me happy. Now, I don't want to take the whole time here to go off on this little tangent. But what you see in maturity as a believer is the deeper you go in your walk in relationship with Christ, the less you start thinking about what pleases you. You start realizing that people are going to heaven or hell for all of eternity. You start realizing the only thing that matters is glorifying God and seeing souls get saved. Think about how much time we spend thinking about ourselves. Throughout the entire Bible, the Bible's telling us to die to ourselves. You know, we're finishing up Galatians here probably this Sunday. And there's this been ongoing theme throughout Galatians. Die, deny, and disappear. Die to who you are. Deny your flesh and yourself and disappear so people only see Jesus. Paul says three times in the book of Galatians, crucify yourself. Crucify yourself. What we see here is a king that only wants what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. How is a person with that personality ever going to please God? If they're spending all their time and energy thinking about themselves, how will they ever be able to please the Lord? Verse 22. Then he sent letters to all the king's providences, to each province in its own script, and to every people in their own language, that each man should be master in his own house and speak in the language of his own people. Forced obedience. Forced submission. I was doing marriage counseling with a couple years ago out here one time, and uh, the husband did not understand the concept of being the loving leader of submission. He did not understand that as the husband he is called to lead, he's called to love like Jesus. Not through arguing, not through pushing, not through fighting, not through whatever. So he would come in, and they would hear the counseling, and the only thing he heard was, I'm in charge, I'm in charge, and I'm in charge. So that doesn't go over real well when the husband decides to come home and the only thing he wants to say to his wife is, remember, Pastor James said, I'm in charge. Pastor James didn't say that. You're supposed to be the loving leader. What you see right here in verse 22 is this forced authority. You see this man. This man had such a, a ego and such a focus. And this is shown in world history that between 22 and verse 1 of chapter 2, about three years pass where he tries to invade Greece and gets completely defeated. So he comes back, verse 1 of chapter 2, after these things, when the wrath of King Azarius subsided, he remembered Vashti, what she had done and what had been decreed against her. So for a few years, he kind of forgets about her because I'm going to take over the world in Greece again. And he gets whooped. So now his pride is hurt, his ego is hurt, and takes us now to chapter 2, which we'll get into here in a second. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about chapter 1? Ryan. Uh, I remember about 12 years ago, back in high school, surprisingly, we talked about the book of Esther in a history class, I think it was with Mr. Fricky, at least briefly, we touched on the book. That sort of thing probably won't happen nowadays. Uh, yeah, you know, that's the difficult part about it, um, is when it comes to being able to present God's Word. I can remember one time when I was back in high school, and this is going back uh, about 25 years ago or so, you know, the teacher got up and talked about how we're not supposed to read the Bible in school. And so he got his Bible out, and he says, you know, let me give you an example. 
He starts reading out of the Gospels. And so he read part of the Gospels to us. He goes, this is what they're talking about. We're not supposed to read this. And he read it. <laughs> I always respected him. I love that. Way to work it in right then and there. And, uh, you know, there's some pretty neat, strong Christians in the public school system. And that's a pretty cool thing to know that they're out there taking a stand. Uh, I got saved, you know, by uh, Jim, who was a teacher in the public school system, who witnessed to me and shared Christ with me through two years of high school. And finally, my third year, I got saved. So I'm thankful for teachers that take a stand like that for the Lord. Amen. Maybe I'll say anything. Kathy. Yeah, her only punishment is she can't be with the king. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, she also is losing her royal position. So if you take a look at verse 19, it says, Let the king give her royal position to another is better than she. So yes, she does not have to be around her drunken, prideful husband anymore. Yes, that is true. But she also loses the position of being the queen as well. Yes, interesting question from Kathy over there. I'm just throwing that out there. Anybody else have anything here about chapter one of our soap opera that sets this tone? Megan. Do you say that's how all men are nowadays? Wow. Okay. Well, you know. Wow. You know, it says in Proverbs that in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. So, you know, we may just need to end that one right there. God is working behind the scenes at this because you may look at chapter one and you may say, what is the point of this? The point of this is what? He needs a new queen. Well, guess who becomes a new queen? Esther. Well, guess what's going to happen down the road? They're going to be introduced to this man by the name of Haman there in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. And what happens is he wants to kill all the Jews. So now God has secretly put this Jewish woman in the position of queen to influence the king to save the Jews. Now, if you've never read the book of Esther before, you read chapter 1, you're like, what is the point of this? The point is God is doing things behind the scenes bigger than what you and I could ever imagine. And the same thing is happening right now in your life. There's something going on that does not make sense. It's very difficult. It's very troublesome. You do not see any good coming out of it. God is moving behind the scenes more than you can ever imagine. So now that this position has now come available, a few years later, they come back and say, Hey, guess what? Verse 2. Let's let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan, the citadel, and to the women's quarters under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women, and let beauty preparations be given them. Then let the young women who please the king be queen instead of Vashti. And this thing pleased the king, and he did so. Verse 4. Please note once again, hey, of course this sounds good. This makes me feel good. I'm going to tell you right now, and I know I just made this point, but it bears repeating. Part of Christianity is constantly dying to yourself. It is. It is this constant dying to, I am not important. So therefore, the day did not go the way I want it to. The free time did not happen like I want. This is not what I wanted to do. Who cares? Let's glorify God and point people towards Jesus Christ. And there has to come this dying to yourself. It has to. And when it finally happens, it is so utterly freeing to realize I'm not important. The world does not revolve around me. And what really matters is impacting people for eternity. So here's a guy that's getting everything he wants. If you want further study on it, go read the book of Ecclesiastes. 
That's a guy that got everything he wanted and he was miserable. So they're going to have now this little Miss Persian beauty contest. And they're going to gather all the beautiful women. Please note when you read the word gather there that you find out when they're gathering them, this does not really look like this is free will gathering. This is like, hey, you're really pretty, come. And if he's sending out people from all the provinces, I just want to throw my personal opinion in. Please be warned, personal opinion. I would assume all the local leaders want to win this beauty contest pretty bad. So you're cute, you're pretty, guess what? You get to be the next queen. Now, what does that really mean? Well, we get to find out here in a little bit of what the Miss Persian Beauty Contest looks like. Now, what happens, though, is we are introduced now to our other main characters in this book. Verse 5. Long genealogy to understand who Mordecai is. In Shushan the Citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai. The son of Jair, the son of Shemiel, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Now, you may sit there and say, what are those names important for? If you were reading this book thousands of years ago, you would say, hey, that genealogy, I can follow that. This was a real person. He had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. Remember, this is all this history we've talked about. They had to do 70 years of captivity because there was 490 Sabbath years. They did not follow any of them. God said, you owe me a 70-year timeout. Mordecai is one of the Jews that were taken away captive. He would have been taken away captive by the Babylonians, and then when the Babylonians were defeated by the Persians, he now is a Jew, basically enslaved if you will, living in the Persian kingdom. But he had has his niece, excuse me, his cousin, verse 7, and Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. So now they are cousins. And a little bit of a name thing here. Her name Esther means star, Hadassah means myrtle. So if you ever met anybody named Myrtle, it is a biblical name here. That's what her name in the Hebrew means. Now, this young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So he's now raising her and taking care of her, and she's beautiful. So verse 8, when the king's command and decree were heard, and when many young women were gathered at Shushan the citadel, under the custody of Haggaiah, the Esther was also taken to the king's palace in the care of Haggaiah, the custodian of the women. She is now chosen to be part of this, if you will, competition. Please note, I do believe this was a lot of forced. This would not have been enjoyable. She's taken away from friends and family and she's now pushed into this position to be taken advantage of by the king. Now, still to this point, God is moving and working behind the scenes. Verse 9, Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor. She pleased the eunuch, that is. So he readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai charged her not to reveal it. He says, don't tell her you're a Jew. Don't tell anybody you're a Jew. That's going to be a death sentence. So keep the secret. Keep this in. You can see the soap opera building. So now she's a secret Jew. She's beautiful. She has servants. In verse 11, Mordecai is always keeping an eye on her, always watching out, making sure that she's okay. Verse 12, each young woman's turn came in to go to King Azarias after she completed 12 months of preparations. You get a year of beauty school. A year. Look what they're going to do to you for a year. 
according to the regulations for the women. For thus they were days of their preparation, portions, six months with oil, myrrh, six months with perfume, and preparations for beautifying women. Thus prepared, each young woman went to the king, and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the woman's quarters into the king's palace. In the evening she went, and in the morning she returned to the second house of the women, to the custody of Shazagza, the king's eunuch, who kept the concubines. She would go into the king, excuse me, she would not go into the king again, unless the king delighted in her and called for her by name. So here you're one of these numerous hundreds of women. You've spent a year going through beauty school. Your name gets chosen. You get to go in, spend one night with the king. And if he likes you, great. If not, you're pushed off to the side as used material that no one's going to want. So this is what Esther is going through. Please note when you think this through, this is not easy in any way whatsoever. Oh, this is great. She's got seven maidservants. She's got everything. No, she was basically taken captive, if you will, forced into this, pushed into this, now pushed into this potential relationship with this king. Verse 15, Now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abiah, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go in to the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. Who does that remind you of? Joseph. God moving and working behind the scenes. Okay, let's just replay Joseph's life real quick. Joseph, jealous by his brothers, thrown into, excuse me, sold as a slave, and actually sold as a slave, accused of rape, thrown into an Egyptian prison, comes out of prison and is what? Second in charge of the Egyptian kingdom. And God used that Jew in a very mighty location. What do we have here going on with Esther? A woman taken by force, probably forced to be put into this, going to be going into the king. And as she goes into it, the king, she's the one chosen, and God is moving and working behind the scenes. I know that's a theme that I've repeated numerous times tonight, but here's the problem. When you start going through difficult times in life, you forget the Josephs and the Esthers. You forget that God moves and works behind the scenes. And you start convincing yourself that it can never be better, it's never going to be okay, everything's going to completely fall apart. No, God is moving puzzle pieces around that you can never imagine. So verse 16, it's about four years after chapter 1, Esther goes in, and guess what happens? Verse 17, the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast, the feast of Esther, for all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of a king. So here is this nothing, nobody, Jewish girl that has now become queen of the Persian Empire. Because God knows what's going to start happening here in chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. And he already has a puzzle piece moved in to the proper position. Proper position to do. Now, I don't know about you. I absolutely loathe doing puzzles. It is not fun. I do not enjoy it in any way whatsoever. Now, when my kids were little, they wanted to do puzzles all the time. Generally, their puzzles were the little wood ones, cut-out ones, you know what I'm talking about? I don't mind those puzzles. I love those. Those are easy. I loved it when they had the four, eight, 12-piece puzzles. I would do those all day. They have now graduated to puzzles that have lots of numbers. I don't enjoy that in any way. And they always say, Dad, will you come do the puzzle? And because I'm the world's greatest father, I come and I sit down. But in my heart, I'm really angry and upset because my boys sit on the puzzle pieces. 
while they're putting together the puzzle. And I have to learn, and now this is just counseling, so I'm just going to vent for a while. I have to learn it's not about the puzzle being completed. It's about spending time with the children because my mind, my OCD kicks in, and this stupid puzzle has to get completed. So my point is this, and you may say, okay, I'm done with my rant. Right here, God put a puzzle piece in that we don't even realize we need yet. He made Esther queen. Why? Well, we don't know that all the Jews are going to be attacked here in just a couple chapters. We don't know that there's this man that's going to come in and have a satanic hatred of the Jews. We don't know that yet. But God does. So right now in your life, there's a puzzle piece that's put into place that you don't get, you don't understand, you don't like, you don't know why. And God is saying, just trust me. There are things coming down the road that you don't know about that you're going to look back and say, I'm so thankful this puzzle piece was put in here. She is now queen, miraculously. And there's one more puzzle piece here before we end up today. Verse 19. When virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai's when she was brought up by him. So he said, don't tell them you're Jewish. Don't. Well, in those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gates, two of the king's eunuchs, Bichthon and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Azarias. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Once again, you read this, and we're going to end right here tonight. That's a huge puzzle piece right there. Now, nothing seems to come out of it, but it is recorded in the book that there's this guy by the name of Mordecai that exposed a plot to have the king get killed, and now it's now recorded in the books. This is where I wish we could do the entire book in one setting. Because we kind of stop right here, and you say, okay, fine, the Jewish girl's queen. Uh, Mordecai just stopped an assassination plot. Why? Guess what? Those puzzle pieces are going to come along later on. And if we had more time, we could get right into what's going to happen. But time does not permit us to do chapters 3 and 4 together. But what's going to happen is, is there's this man by the name of Haman that's going to come along, and he wants to kill all the Jews. And all of a sudden, all these puzzle pieces that God has done comes back now into play, and now we know why the Lord was allowing these things to happen to protect Israel. Please remember, this is not a new ploy by Satan. Back in the book of Exodus, when the Egyptians wanted to kill all the Jewish babies, that was Satan's way of trying to destroy the Jews. Satan tries to destroy the Jews here in the book of Esther. Also, they try to destroy the Messiah in the book of Matthew when Herod kills all the young boys. This has been Satan's plot throughout the years. Let's just destroy the Jews. Whatever God loves, Satan hates. And this is what you see. And this man, Haman, is going to be satanically inspired, dare I say, to go try to destroy the Jews. And now you're going to have Mordecai and Esther in the right positions to see this saved. And what a beautiful story this becomes. Anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything in Esther 1 or Esther 2? Before we close up, Megan. A eunuch? A eunuch is a man that has been castrated so that way he can serve with women and there would be no type of uh, sexual tension going on. So, it was a position of authority, it was a position of power, but at the same time, it was also a position usually given to men that were slaves. So, therefore, they did not have to worry about the men having any inappropriate relations with the women. Oh, okay. Yep. Anybody else have anything? Ryan. Uh, with this, uh, as you put it, the beauty contest, I'm wondering when they when came into uh, the king, did he know them in the biblical sense, or was it just kind of...
Right. I would assume, and this is no way to know for sure, that he probably would know them in the biblical sense. He's the king. And I would assume that was part of that world that was going on at that time. You know, so often when we look at the world that we live in, we live in a very rated R world. (laughs) There's no way around that. And as Christians, God has called us to be as pure as we can in a very difficult world. And so once again, you see Esther, this, this very great, you know, beautiful virgin woman put in this very difficult position. But the Lord says, I'm using this for greater good here. And the next thing you know, she becomes wife and becomes queen. Anybody else have anything here before I close up? Adam. Yeah. Right. Esther puts her life on the line here in just a couple of chapters. And, and, you know, and I think you guys probably know how the book ends. And if you don't know how the book ends, you, you see it coming together. Haman wants to hang Mordecai. And next thing you know, Haman is hung on his own gallows he built for Mordecai. And this, and I, I just gave away the ending, I know. But there's this whole, it, it's just, it really is an amazing book that you, I know, plot killer, don't come back. Um, you know, it really is an amazing book. And like I said, God's name is never mentioned in it. And I think that's almost purposeful to show you sometimes the Lord is doing things behind the scenes that he doesn't really get credit for. It reminds me a little bit, you know, and he made a great point there, Adam did, that it reminds me of, um, of when the Bible says that Jesus, that was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. That there was a plan already set in place and purpose before we even knew anything. It's just amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right, I hope you're blessed by this. It's a pretty quick book. It moves pretty quickly. So we're going to get going through a few chapters here next week as well. And I hope we can do as much as we can in one setting to get the full, full thing. Hey, would you guys stand with me for prayer, please? Lord, as we come to you now, help us to trust that you're moving and working behind the scenes even when we don't see it, even when we do not know it. Help us to walk in faith. If there's someone here tonight that's really struggling with that, Lord, they're in an Esther position. They're in a Mordecai position. Let them know you are moving and working, Lord. We say thank you. Help us to walk in faith in all ways in your name. Amen. Don't forget next Wednesday, uh, meeting about the prison outreach. Next Sunday, this coming Sunday, about the VBS, Muslim VBS. If you have anything you want to pray about, pop on up and we can pray. You guys have a good week and God bless.